Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This Thanksgiving week, we are jumping out of our series on finances, and as we turn our sights towards Advent, we are taking a week to reflect upon what it means when God's plans don't always match up with our own. Leading us this week as we learn from the Israelites on their exodus out of Egypt is our family life pastor, the Reverend Jamie Kendrew. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, you know, sometimes life takes a turn you weren't expecting, right? Thanks for some of us last week when Pastor Jared uh, stood up here and announced that he had received a calling to go to another church. It was one of those moments where we went, what? We all have those moments, don't we? Where we think that we've got a plan, we know where we're going, we've got a direction, then God does something different. I don't know whether it's in an addiction that you have or whether it's in your family. Maybe you had these epic plans for Thanksgiving yesterday and your turkey exploded in the oven. The ones laughing, it happened to. Here's what we know. God is good and he's in control. And regardless of what he's calling us to, we are not in control. And here's the good thing. If we were in control, we would screw it up. God is good and he loves us and he has a plan for each and for every one of us. It's not about building a kingdom. It's about building the kingdom. And so today, we're supposed to talk about giving our finances a facelift. Well, in light of last week, that's not going to happen. Because you see, God spoke to me in my devotion this past week, and I really felt like I needed to bring to all of you um, what God was speaking to my heart through the story of Moses. So won't you pray with me? So God, we love you. And Lord, our life will take weird turns. And while we can't always explain what you're doing or why you're doing it, God, we know this, that at the end of this book, you are very clear and you tell us that you win. And not only do you win, Lord, you've invited us to be a part of the victory. And so this morning, Lord, as people, as humans... We have things that we carried in here with us, brokenness. We have changes going on in our lives, whether it's a job relocation or we found out we're pregnant or find out we can't be pregnant or whatever it may be, God. We're calling out to you right now, confessing that you're good and you're in control. And sometimes, God, we just need reminded of that because we're silly people and we let our fear take over. And so, Lord, teach us through your servant Moses this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, they can't shut the mic off, so we're changing it up. And, you know, in my devotions this past week, as there's been a lot of changes in my life personally recently, um, I found comfort in the words that I read. And we all have heard of the person of Moses. Now, again, this is not a fiction or a, a not true character. This is somebody that really existed. This is somebody who, who really went through what we're reading. And so when we say the word character, we're not referring to this person as, as somebody that was made up in history. Moses existed. The people of Israel went through the challenge and turmoil that we're going to talk about here. And, and I wish that we had enough time to go through the whole life of Moses because it really is a fantastic uh, epic. Um, and I want to encourage you as a family, if you're looking for devotions to do, take the book of Exodus and chunk it up and read the story. 
Because it's absolutely amazing. God has this person, Moses, he brings him through hard circumstances as a child, to say the least. And he raises him up to be a leader, only to have Moses kind of fight his calling. Moses doesn't necessarily want to take on the mantle of leadership that God is putting onto him. And so Moses uh, wrestles and struggles with God. What I find really amazing about Moses is that in other places in Scripture, we read about how Moses... Uh, was weak in speech. He had a, a speaking issue. And some scholars have gone as far as to say that M- M- Moses had a stutter. And don't you find it funny that God would choose the guy with a speech problem to be his mouthpiece? Because you know, God uses our weaknesses to demonstrate how awesome and strong he is. I still laugh at the fact that when I turned 18, I told my mom I would never step foot in a church again. (laughs) Kind of went the other way with that one. But God will take us and he'll mold us and he'll guide us and he'll use us. And there's a a kingdom that he's building and there's an eternity that he's building that's so much bigger than you and me. And so he calls Moses. He says, Moses... I want you to lead the people of Israel out of captivity. Now, there was this guy named Pharaoh. Pharaoh is like Caesar. He's like the king. He's the king, okay? And his name was Ramses. And Ramses was uh, the leader. And and what's happened is that the people of Israel have been enslaved by Egypt. And so the Egyptians uh, love what the Israelites can produce. And so um, Moses comes and says, you know what? You need to let us go. Ramses looks at him and says, you're nuts. I'm not letting these people go. He says, well, if you don't, there's going to be consequences. This is the very abbreviated version, by the way. And so there's some consequences that happen. And after a lot of consequences and tragic consequences, Ramses finally gets the picture that you can't beat God. And he comes to Moses and he says, I want you to take your people out of this land. We're done. Go. You're free. And so God tells Moses, I want you to arm the people for battle, and I want you to follow the road that I'm going to tell you to take. Now, something when we hear about the story of Moses, a lot of us don't realize because we don't live there, is the ridiculousness of this story. I love the ridiculousness of this story because when we look at a map of where this took place, we can see there in the Nile Delta, the number one where it all starts, there's Ramses and and where the people of Israel are being let out. Now, their final destination is up in that upper right-hand corner. I am not a math wizard and I am not a genius, nor am I God. But isn't the shortest distance between two places a straight line? (laughs) And wouldn't it be easier to take your people across the land instead of the sea? As a kid, we've all done it. We've tried to walk on water, and we can't do it. And so God has this ridiculous plan. He says, okay, Moses, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to deliver your people. The people of Israel here, we're going to be freed. We can leave that map up for a few minutes. We're going to be set free. We're going to be let go. So the people of Israel think that their freedom is the ultimate victory. Listen, this story is just beginning. Because God tells Moses, listen, Moses, here's what's going to happen. Yes, the people of Israel are going to be set free. You're going to lead them out. You're going to go to the promised land that I've chosen to give to to you. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be flowing with milk and honey. But before you get there, you need to go way out of your way. And by the way, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He's going to send 600 chariots after you to kill you. 
Praise the Lord. Really? I thought you said you were delivering us, Lord. And now the plan's different? And so what we have here is God decides to lay out a path for Israel out of the page of PennDOT in the belt system, right? That's what that's what we're looking at there. And so instead of simply coming down to Succoth and turning left, which everybody knows, you don't turn right at the Red Sea. You don't turn right at the Red Sea. Why? Because there's desert down there. And so the nation of Israel gets on this ridiculous PennDOT plan, and instead of going from point A to point B, God leads them to the south towards the Red Sea. Now, why would he do that? Well, this is why he does it. Because up along the the Great Sea near Gaza are these people, the Philistines. We all have heard the name Philistine before, but for those of you that don't know, these are the people who really, 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 really hate the Jews. Like a lot. To the point where, as if the people of Israel marched through there, they would be imprisoned, killed, or become slaves again. So while the people of Israel are growing frustrated, God, why would you have us go this way? God has a bigger picture in mind saying, you don't realize that's the land of the Philistines, and if you go that way, they will kill you. And so God takes them down to the south, and he tells them, I want you to camp near this town. Now listen, this is, I'm not going to get this word right, and you are not allowed to judge me, okay? Because if you can get it right, you can come stand up here and preach. The name is Pi-Haroth, or something like that, okay? <laughs> it could be pumpkin pie for all I know. It's Pi-Haroth, all right? And God says, I want you to go down to this place, and he gives a couple other names of places. He says, I want you to camp between there and the sea. And Moses' mind is probably thinking, but Lord, all we have to do is turn left. Well, we got to go left. And God says, no, I want you to turn right. And sometimes in our life, when, when we think we know what direction we're heading, we know the turkey was supposed to be on that temperature, we know we were supposed to cook it that long, but it still exploded. In our life, whether in our school, whether in our work, whether in our personal life, whether in our marriages, whatever it may be, sometimes God calls us to these weird turns and we can't understand them. How many of you have ever gone through a weird turn in your life where God brought you somewhere and you went, Lord, why am I here? Listen to me. God uses ridiculousness to do his will. And so he calls the people of Israel out. They march down to the Red Sea, and they've got people who want to kill him above them. They've got an army of 600 chariots behind them. They've got desert and certain death below them. And before them, they've got the Red Sea. Now, if we simply look at, at, at God and the standards of this world, they're doomed, aren't they? Please do me a favor, church. Stop looking at God as if he has to obey the laws of this world. Because guess what? He doesn't. And he laughs when we try to put him in a box and say, well, science says. What's the authority? The one who created it. We don't play with Lego people and say, well, the Lego people told me to do this. No, we create, we build. And God created and he built. He doesn't operate by the rules that we operate by. And he tells the people of Israel, listen, I need you to be obedient. Do what I'm saying. And so there's this epic exchange between Moses, the people of Israel, and God. Moses says, okay, everybody, I want everybody to look up. And they look up and they say, oh, there's 600 chariots coming to kill us. And they freak out, as we do in moments of change. We panic. 
And so the people of Israel panic and they begin to yell at Moses saying, oh, you, you brought us out of Egypt simply to die in the desert. Thanks a lot. We would have been better off to die back there in Egypt, uh, you know, where, where we could at least have something. But now you've called us out of Egypt. We thought the Lord delivered us, but now the Lord hasn't delivered us. The plan changed. Now we've got people to the north who want to kill us. We've got people behind us who want to slay us. We've got a red, or the Red Sea in front of us and a desert below us. Thanks a lot, Moses. Thanks a lot, God. And God is sitting there listening to Moses and listening to the people of Israel. And Moses has this moment of beautiful clarity when he says to the people of Israel, he says, listen, listen, listen. We are in a crisis. We're in a change. We're maybe not even in a crisis because God called us to something and we're just simply being called to be here. And in Exodus 13, or excuse me, yeah, Exodus 14, verse 13 Moses answers the people of Israel by saying this. He says, do not be afraid. And so the people of Israel are freaking out. They're terrified. But a couple of moments earlier, something that they don't know is God was talking to Moses and told Moses this. He said, listen, there are going to be 600 chariots that are going to come after you. And I want you to know that I'm the one who's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Because, you see, what I'm doing today, Israel, isn't just about you. What I'm doing today is about the Egyptians. Because the Egyptians, by what I'm going to do to the Egyptian army, they will know my glory. Sometimes in our lives when we go through things, when we go through changes or trials or good times or bad times, when we have these moments in our lives, did you know that sometimes they're not about you? That sometimes your pain may be to benefit someone else. Or that your windfall may be to benefit somebody else. God is not just in the business about serving one of us. He's about the business of building the kingdom. And he tells Moses, hey, listen, you guys are going to freak out. They're going to be afraid. I need you to trust me that I've got a plan. I know what I'm doing. They're going to come after you. They're going to try to kill you. Show up and watch me work. Because today is about the Egyptians seeing my glory. And today is about the nation of Israel seeing my glory. And so there they are on the shores of the Red Sea, the people crying out to God. Moses answers the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. Those Egyptians you see today, you will never see them again. For the Lord will fight for you. Did you hear that? In your circumstances, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And with that, I love this. I can imagine this exchange. It says that the Lord says to Moses, well, what are you crying out to me for? Get moving. That's literally what it says in the scripture. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Listen, when we have change, when we have moments of uncertainty in our life, the worst thing we can do is panic and seize up in our fear. God says, keep moving on. And here we are as a church, we're we're in a transition time where our leader is going to lead somewhere else. But you know what? That's okay because the mission and the vision of Christ's church, it stays the same. The gospel message is what this place is about, and we're about carrying it forward. And that doesn't change, amen? Amen. The best days of this church 
are ahead of us. Not because we're something fantastic, but because he's something fantastic. And we want to bless Pastor Jared and Deb as they go as missionaries to another place because God is in control here. Maybe it has nothing to do with us. Maybe God is doing something there because God is doing something here. My call to us as a congregation in our individual lives, in our families, in our workplaces, and in our congregational life, in our church, let's trust him because he is good. Because in this moment, God says, Moses, stretch out your hand and you will walk on the dry ground. And so Moses stretches his hand out across the sea and cries out to God. And, and it says in the scriptures that a wind came and it, and it blew the waters apart. And that there was a wall of water on one side and a wall of water on the other. Have you ever been in the polar bear exp- display down in the Pittsburgh Zoo? That's creepy, isn't it? Imagine there being no glass. Think about the faith it took for those people to walk and to follow God one step at a time. And, and I love God's attention to detail because he didn't say, I'm going to just throw you out there in the muddy river. He dried the ground. They walk through on the dry ground. Listen, God is a God of detail. When he's doing his story, when he's carrying out his plan, he's not missing the details. He didn't need me to say, oh, well, Lord, someone might slip and fall into the water. I got it. God has got it. He's in control. The people of Israel, they walk across the Red Sea and they end up on the other side. And when they get there, there's a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke that God was guiding them with. And that removes itself and the 600 chariots follow in behind them. And God swallows them with the sea. 600 chariots is an unstoppable force. That like that, God stopped. Not only did Egypt know the glory of God in that moment, not only did Israel know the glory of God in that moment, but we're we're still talking about that moment today. Epic. God is ridiculous and will do ridiculous things. He wants us to simply just show up, be still, and watch him work. So whatever that Red Sea in your life is, whatever that army is in your life, God will conquer it. Stop trying to do it on your own. You can't get across the sea on your own. If the people of Israel tried to get across the sea on their own, they would have drowned. If they tried to make their own way in the wilderness, they would have gotten lost and been killed by the Philistines or starved in the desert. Sometimes we can't understand why God is doing what he is doing. But listen to me. He is good and he loves you. And though some things may sting and hurt for a little bit, in the end of the book, we know That's the ultimate victory. So our job, brothers and sisters, is to keep calm and carry on. So I want to share this with you as I did this as my devotion. This isn't really a sermon. This is more of a devotional. I want to share these key things that I pulled out of this as I was reading this. When we read this passage of Scripture, we can really glean a lot of things. God delivers the people of Israel. And the deliverance came in a way that they weren't expecting. And so the first thing that we see when we read this is that no matter what, God keeps on winning. And so no matter what's going on in your life or in the life of our church, God keeps on winning because the delivery or the place where we arrive isn't where God wants us to stop. So that small victory you have in your life, it's only going to get better. 
if you show up and are obedient to God. God has a greater plan. The second thing we learn in this is we learn that we as Christians, as believers, we need to be on our guard because the truth of the matter is there is an enemy out there who wants to destroy and kill us. Pharaoh's army was behind the nation of Israel. And listen to me, one of the biggest lies in our culture today is that Satan doesn't exist. Listen, he exists. I believe in Satan, and you can quote me on that. He exists, and he's bent on your destruction. He's bent on taking the things that God means for good. He's bent on tempting you into doing things that are evil and awful. The Bible says in John 10.10 that he is a thief that comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. God sent us Christ that he may come, that we may have life and have it to the fullest. The enemy is real. And as people following God, we need to be on our guard. We need to pray for God to give us the strength to make it through this day. The next thing we learn in all of this is one of the worst things you can do in, a, in, a, in an emergency or in a, in a change or in a crisis or whatever you want to call it is to panic. I love when you can talk to a lot of the first responders in the room and they'll tell you the same thing. Whenever panic happens in an event, it only leads to death. It only leads to more problems. In fact, when I was doing swift water rescuing, learning how to to rescue that, they told us you just punch a person right in the face when they're freaking out. You're either going to knock them out or calm them right down because the situation is going to become a lot dire a lot quicker if you don't. And as believers... We do believe what Philippians 4.13 says when it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, don't we? Do you believe that? So when you have a moment of change in your life, keep calm and carry on. Don't panic. Panic is not going to bring anything good. The first thing that we should do when we have a crisis in our life is stop. What did God tell Moses to do? Be still and watch me work. When was the last time you simply went to God and were still before him? We don't like quiet, do we? Something about it causes our skin to crawl. But God wants us to be still and calm and quiet because that's how he speaks. Are you so busy that you don't have time to hear the Lord? Or have you created moments of stillness in your life? When the going gets tough, the tough get going. No, the tough should stop and start praying. And then when God reveals his plan, they get up and they put one foot in front of the other, right? We don't do that in a panic because we keep on winning. We got to be on guard. And this next one is we have to trust God. We talk about it, we sing about it, but trusting God is difficult when it's your child on the operating table. Trusting God is difficult when it's your home being foreclosed or your job that you were just laid off from. Listen to me. The people of Israel walked on the dry ground with a wall of water on either side of them. Trust God, it may be ridiculous, but what he is doing will be for your good. He will deliver you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. 
Our understanding is logic and reason. But God is ridiculous. He created logic and reason. But he is so much bigger than all of those things. Let God do the ridiculous things in your life. Is he calling you to something like Loza? That doesn't make sense. This young woman from the North Hills of Pittsburgh is is being called to a place, to a people, that it's dangerous for her to go to. But yet that's what God called her to. And she's saying, Lord, I'm going to show up. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm here. And God's given her a front row seat to see him do something awesome. How many of us is God calling to something amazing that we're afraid to take a step? We need to trust God. Trusting means you're stepping out of your comfort zone and relying on him. Nothing you do in your own strength is going to make any of this work. You have to trust God, just like Moses did. I love the Sistine Chapel, if you've ever been there. In the Sistine Chapel, there's these different pictures that we can all think of. But here's the reality. Each of those little frames makes up a greater story. It's as if we are uh, a person who's only looking at a very small portion of the picture, but God sees the whole work completed. He knows what the end of the story looks like. He knew when Jesus went to Lazarus' tomb and Lazarus was laying in there dead, he knew he wasn't going to be dead in three minutes. He knows how your story's going to end. He knew that when he sent the people of Israel down to the Red Sea, he was going to do something miraculous to demonstrate his glory. God is in control. We need to trust him. The next thing is we need to simply be silent and watch him work. We need to be silent and watch him work. I want you to try that. God starts putting something on your heart or an opportunity is arising. Just be quiet and ask God, what do you want me to do here, Lord? And I promise you, he'll speak to you in your mind. He'll speak to you through other people. He'll speak to you through his word. The last thing we need to keep doing when we hit times of of change or transition is we do need to be still. We do need to be silent. But we need to keep moving forward. God didn't tell the people of Israel, I want you to simply watch the sea part. He said, I want you to move forward. He said, what are you guys waiting on? Get going. Well, Lord, there's this Red Sea in front of us. I got that. And they walked through on the dry ground. A lot of times I hear people say, well, we never see miracles today. I beg to differ. I don't think we see miracles today because no one's showing up at the seashore. We're not showing up to watch. God's got things in stores. And for for those of us who see miracles on a daily basis, we're being obedient to what God's called us to and nothing more. I'm not special. You're not special. You're all train wrecks. I'm a train wreck. We've all got sin. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Get over that. Let go of the sin that you're holding on to. If you've asked for forgiveness, move past it. Put one foot in front of the other. I don't care how bad you think you were. God loves you and can forgive you. And that change that comes into your life, God, give me the strength to make it through today. And you put one foot in front of another. And tomorrow you pray the same thing. And God will give you the strength to endure and to make it through whatever the Red Sea is in your life. Because God is good.
So as a church, we are going to keep on walking. I love how this story ends in Scripture. Because it doesn't end with the nation of Israel standing there. It ends with the army of Egypt being destroyed and God's people turn around and they see the splendor of God. And what's really amazing is they, they stop. And after being obedient to God and showing up, they simply sing a song. And it's called the Song of Moses and Miriam. And it's Exodus 15. And it says this, when Israel was brought through their, their, their journey, Moses and the nation of Israel sang, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. And it continues on. Listen to me, church. When God brings you through the Red Seas in your life, trust him. And when you get to the other side, stop and sing about it. Talk about it. Share with people, God delivered me from this garbage or this thing or this change in my life and he set me up and he he lifted me up. He took me through it on the dry ground and when I came through on the other side, there was more journey ahead. Because guess what? Israel wasn't done when they got to the other side. There was about 40 more years of goodness for them wandering in the desert. Listen to me. God loves you. He has a plan for you. God loves your family. He loves this church, and he has a plan for each and for every one of us. He's not done with us yet. We've got this. So step by step, trusting in him, we as a church, we're going to keep moving on. We're going to keep walking forward and sharing the gospel message of Jesus. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you for your deliverance. We thank you for your victory. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you've already told us at the end we win and you've given us front row seats to see what you're going to do. So we thank you for our church leadership, the board and and the pastoral staff and the staff of Christ Church and all of those who volunteer and, and who serve in some capacity because this place is bigger than any one person, God. And we thank you that we are about building the kingdom, not our own kingdom. And so we trust you, Lord, that you are going to take care of the details while we continue to walk forward. We thank you that this is a church that was founded on sharing the gospel, and that will continue, Lord. So we love you and we thank you. We praise you because you are a good, good father.